0: Welcome you if you're online or in kindred or in traditions, and we have a guest speaker this morning. Brian Wright is our district superintendent. He's the man of lots of letters, the DS for the NPD of the EFCA, and we also serve on the D-bombs together. Uh, He can explain those, but uh, it's been great to get to know Brian. Brian has been our district superintendent the last almost two years now. Came in 2020 at the uh, beginning height of of COVID took the step of faith uh, but Brian is from the area Brian grew up in Valley City pastored in Mott North Dakota also in Owatonna Minnesota and how he gets the pleasure of living again in his hometown I think right across the street from your mother if I'm not mistaken which is a special privilege so Brian's here to bring the word to us this morning come on up Brian and he's going to share the word with us and as he's coming up uh, let me pray for him thank you again father <clears> to <throat> in our hearts to hear your grace this morning. Use our brother Brian um, to bring the word and to uh, point us continually as we've already done to you and to your greatness and glory. Thank you uh, that he could be here with us this morning and we pray for him in your name. Amen.
1: Well, it is a real pleasure to be here with you as uh, the Bethel family, and again with uh, traditions with kindred. Uh, Just so happy to have the opportunity, the privilege to be here and share with you a little this morning. I thought as I begin this morning, before I jump into uh, the message, I would just share a little bit more about myself, because this is the first time I've really had a chance to introduce myself to you as a Bethel family, so I'll start talking a little bit about my family. Uh, This is a photo of my family. Uh, There between that lovely bride and myself is my bride. Uh, Her name is Bridget. Uh, We've been married for 30 years. And Bridget loves books and reading and all things related to those, and has served uh, as a a librarian in the past. She's worked as a reading tutor in schools in the past, and right now she works doing online tutoring uh, with dyslexic students, uh, is her role right now, Uh, when she's not working on fixing up the house that we bought in Valley City, which is about a hundred-year-old home uh, that we have been working on remodeling. Uh, On the other side of me there is my oldest daughter, Anne. Anne is... uh, Uh, working on her master's in teaching degree at Valley City State University. Uh, She also lives in Valley City. She has an undergraduate degree in environmental science. She is my North Dakota outdoors girl. She loves being outside, loves driving around with her camera, taking pictures, and just seeing what she sees, enjoys all of creation and nature, would love to have the opportunity to teach students about uh, creation at a camp or at a state park or at a zoo, those kinds of things. That's kind of her passion and her love, and she just really enjoys those things. Uh, The lovely couple in the middle, that's my son Jacob uh, and his new wife, Siri, and yes, Siri was Siri before Apple had Siri. It does make family dinners interesting. Hey, Siri, pass the potatoes. Um, No, we we love Siri. We are so excited to have her as part of our family. Uh, Both Jacob and Siri are seniors this year at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Uh, Jacob is a double major in English education and theater. Uh, He would love to work at a high school or college and run a theater department there. That's uh, his goal. And and Siri is also in the theater department there. Uh, Fun story, they met in the first five minutes of freshman orientation when he got there. Um, He met her and they've been uh, together since then and uh, she plans after graduation to continue to pursue acting and modeling in the Minneapolis area. And then on the far end is my youngest daughter, that's Grace. We tease about Grace that Grace has a couple of things. Grace loves to organize things. She's never met a spreadsheet she didn't like and she loves to tell people what to do. And that makes her a great stage manager. And so she's in the theater department there on the tech side of things. So the so folks up in the booth, I have a great appreciation for what you are doing up there because that's what she is studying to do and to be. So we are so excited for that. So that's just a little bit about my family, uh, a little bit about myself. As uh, Greg already mentioned, I'm uh, originally from North Dakota, grew up in the Valley City area, uh, moved away for a while, but always came back there for our summer family vacations. My grandma and grandpa lived there um, Part, uh, pastored in the district 12 years in Mott, 12 years in Owatonna before getting to come back here. And yes, I came back to Valley City, bought the house across the street from my mom, which makes her the happiest lady in all of North Dakota. And she tells me that every day. So uh, we are thrilled to be back here ministering in the Northern Plains District. Let me tell you a couple things about. What is that thing, the Northern Plains District? Some of you are here, I'm guessing, and you have no idea what that is or what a district superintendent even is, and maybe you didn't even know that you were part of this thing called the Northern Plains District. So let me just give you a little bit about that. The Northern Plains District is all of the evangelical free churches in North Dakota, uh, two in Montana, uh, several in South Dakota, and several in Minnesota. Uh, Thirty-six congregations in total make up the Northern Plains District. And as a district superintendent, it's my job to serve those churches. Uh, that is the number one thing. If you remember what I do as a job, I am here to help churches. Uh, that's why my job exists, is to help serve and support the churches across our district. I do that in several ways. Uh, the number one way is just helping to have strong, healthy, vibrant churches, and that happens in a lot of different ways. Sometimes that helps, uh, happens through helping them find uh, pastors. Right now, we have eight out of our 36 congregations that are in some level of pastoral search. Uh, that's a lot. And so I'd ask you to just be praying about that, but that's a, a big part of that job. Sometimes it's helping a church that's going through a conflict. Uh, and we have a team of people who go out and work with them and, and help them work through those things and help to bring reconciliation to churches. Sometimes it's just helping meet with a pastor or a board or a ministry team and help them think through what's going on at their church and how can we do it better and help we provide some training or some resources to those things. It's all of those things. And it's also being there to help pastors. Uh, another way that my job is sometimes described is being a pastor to the pastors. Uh, it's really simple. When you have a problem, you call one of your pastors. Well, if a pastor has a problem, who do they call? Well, that's my job, at least in part. It's part of what I do. So that's uh, what it is to be a district superintendent in that facet. We want to help have healthy churches. We also want to help build partnerships. Um, Oh, I'm going to go back one. We want to help build partnerships. This is the, and one of the big ways we do that is on some of the more formal things. We have a district conference that's coming up uh, in just a week, or two weeks. Registration closes in a week. It comes up in two weeks. It's February 17th and 19th at Salem Evangelical Free Church in Moorhead, Minnesota. We would love to have you show up. You can register at mpdefca.com. End of commercial. Um, we just love to have you there. It's a great time. It's often talked about as being kind of a big family reunion, a chance for us to get together and to share. Our theme for the conference this year is, what's next? We am going to talk a little bit in the sermon about these last two years that we've been through, and it's kind of less people asking, what next? And you can do that like, ah, what next? Or, oh, what next? Or, ooh, what next? Kind of all of those things. And we're talking about what's next for the church, and our speaker will be addressing the topic of leading the post-pandemic church. Love to have you join us to be part of that at our time there. Also, there are informal ways that we partner together, just one church helping out another, and I want to say thank you to Bethel for all of the ways that you do help out our district. You've been a great help and support to many of our district churches, and I just thank you uh, to you for the way that you so generously serve in those ways. And then the last thing that we do is talk about multiplication. I could talk a lot about this, and I would love to have a chance to share with you But it's simply this. As I go across our district, I'm aware of a couple of things. One, there are a lot of places across our district that have no evangelical gospel preaching church in their midst. Uh, I was out in Wilton, North Dakota. If you know, Wilton is just north of Bismarck. There's a free church there. And if you go from Wilton, 100 miles to the east all the way over to Pingree, which is just north of Jamestown, it's a 100-mile stretch, and there's not one evangelical church anywhere in that 100 miles. You have people who drive 40, 50 miles to get to an evangelical church. There are communities out there that don't have any kind of witness, and can we reach those communities? Now, one thing we know is that they probably aren't going to be able to support a pastor and a full church and a building and all the things that go with a traditional church. That doesn't mean we don't reach them. That doesn't mean I've got all the big solutions as to how to do that, but we're looking for them, and we're talking about how we reach them. We're also talking about how we reach into other communities. We can put a church, we can put a congregation, and we can support those things. And praise God, we have one of those that started just down the road in Castleton. Uh, They had their grand opening in September of this uh, last year, and we just praise God for what uh, He is doing there in Castleton, and Bethel has been a part of helping that get started. Uh, Several of the people who started that once attended here, and so we just thank you again for your partnership in that. You started a second campus, so high out there to Kindred. You're part of that multiplication and reaching those communities, and we're so excited for what Bethel is doing in that regard as well. We want to see more of that happen. Uh, across our district. So those are the things that I spend my time working on and investing in through the district. How can you connect and be a part of it? Let me share just uh, three things. Number one, pray. Would you pray for us and pray for our district? Pray for those eight churches that are looking for pastors. Pray for our district staff. I've got four staff that serve with me. Um, My administrative assistant is Kathy Glass, and she lives in Bismarck. We have our missions mobilizer, Steve Oswald. Some of you have probably met him. We have brand new to our our district staff, this is Mike Lundberg, working in the area of of church multiplication. And then also we have a student ministries mobilizer who you guys know pretty well, Steven Dunkel, is our student ministries mobilizer. He would, of course, want me to mention that we have our uh, youth districts conference. It's another great partnership that we have uh, with churches across the district coming up in Jamestown. But just thank those, uh, I really appreciate those staff and all that they do. Pray for them. Pray for us as we seek to do those things to help be healthy churches and build partnerships and to pursue multiplication. The second one is to connect with us. Um, You can connect with us. We have a website, npdefca.com. Great information there. We have a newsletter that comes out every month. You can sign up to just find out what's happening across the district. Um, We have a Facebook page that you can follow if you follow Facebook. My kids are trying to teach me how to do Instagram. It's not going very well, but we're working on it. Um, But you can follow that too. Uh, We'd just love to have you connect with us. And the last one is by giving. Um, And I just want to say a thank you to Bethel for the great support that you give to the district. We ask our district churches to contribute 2% of their budgets to help with the work of the district. Bethel is one of those great faithful churches who does that and supports our work so well. So I just want to say thank you. If you're an individual donor here, uh, I want to say thank you to you as well. We have lots of individual donors. We really appreciate them. They help make up that difference between what comes from the churches and what is needed to do the ministry that we are called to. Uh, If you'd like to become one of those, you can do that on our website. Uh, Donate. There's a little button. for donating on the website there as well. But thank you uh, for your gifts and for your support uh, as a church of the NPD. Um, one of the things I got to tell Anthony, he's brand new to the NPD. He's, so, but we had this thing in North Dakota where we find out, you know, you talk to somebody and it's like, oh, you're from there? Oh, do you know so-and-so? And when you ask that question about two or three times and eventually you will find somebody you know in common, right? Uh, when I first came into North Dakota, it wasn't a free church, but it was a church in Jamestown. By the time I was done candidating for that job, there was a lady in the church that had dug out baby pictures of me. That's what it means to be from North Dakota. So, but we already have that connection because he used to work for my college roommate. Uh, so that's just how North Dakota works. We always have these kinds of fun connections. So thank you for being a part of our family, and uh, I just am such, so privileged to be here with you this morning. Let me share with you a little bit now from the Word of God. That's really what I came here to do, and excited to have that opportunity. The passage I want to look at this morning is Ephesians Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, if you have a, a Bible with your device and you want to open up there, I uh, would encourage you to do that as I read uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called uh, to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What a wonderful passage for us to begin Looking at uh, this morning. I, I picked that passage because in my job, you get to kind of see what's happening in your church, and maybe you know a little bit about a couple of other churches through family members or other connections that you have. I get to hear about what's happening in 36 congregations, and broader than that, what's happening in 1,400 congregations across the Evangelical Free Church. And one of the things that I would tell you, and this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody in this room, the last two years have been hard years. They've been hard for communities. They have been hard for schools. They have been hard for hospitals and clinics and nursing homes. They have been hard for families. that have struggled with health issues and employment issues and financial issues. And they have been hard for churches. They have, these last two years, it's hard even to stand up and say it's been two years, right? Remember when it was just going to be six weeks and now it's two years and we are continuing to struggle with the issues that are ongoing here. Some, Some that are pretty easily foreseen the challenges that might be there, and some that are not. Like, I don't understand how a pandemic has created a shortage in black licorice Twizzlers, but I can't find them anywhere. They were all over last summer, and I, I, I was in, I've been in like four Walmarts, and I can't find them anywhere, so I don't know what that's about. But it's a hard thing. It's a hard season, and churches have been struggling with that. Uh, the editor of Christianity Today wrote this. He said, New fractures are forming within the American evangelical movement, fractures that do not run along the usual regional, denominational, ethnic, or political lines. Couples, families, friends, and congregations once united in their commitment to Christ are now dividing over seemingly irreconcilable views of the world. In fact, they are not merely dividing, but they are becoming incomprehensible to one another. That is, that we are having the, the, these different views and we are arguing about things in the church that we never thought we would be discussing, let alone arguing about. And when we argue about them, we look at the people around us and go, how can they think that? And that can be on either side. That's a sad thing. I think it's an unbiblical thing. It's an unchristlike like thing that churches would divide over those things, that we would have fights over those things. We are called to manifest unity in the body, and that's what these verses are talking about. Now, before I, I go Further down the road and talk about these verses, I need to back up for just one second and talk to you about how we get to these verses. If I were preaching through Ephesians, we'd looked at chapter one and two and three, and we 'd have all of that history behind us i don 't have time to do that this morning, but I want to tell you that when we come to this point in Ephesians, really if you 're looking at this book, there are two parts of it. The first part of it is this is what God has done this is what Christ has accomplished for you, and the second part of it is, therefore this is what you ought to do because of that and it 's really the, the, those two parts and it's It gives you the, this is what you ought to do, not because those are the rules, buddy, and you better follow them. That's not the attitude it wants you to have. Paul lays out all that Christ has done so that you would do all that is asked out of gratitude for what has been accomplished for you already. One of the great lines that I appreciate in talking about theology and ethics and is that salvation, that is how we come to faith in Christ, is all of grace. It is all of God's free gift. And ethics, that is how we behave because of that is all of gratitude. It flows from the thankfulness that we have for all that He has accomplished. So I I can't go back through all of chapters 1 through 3, but just quickly let me highlight a couple of those things for you, what it means that He has done for you. Um, These things that He has done for you, that He has put in these things in place for you. He has given you every spiritual blessing. He has given you every spiritual blessing. That is, everything that He could possibly offer you, He has given you through Christ, every spiritual blessing. He has given you uh, a, a new life and, and a new home and a new family. so we are part of a new household. He says that He has shown us His great love through Jesus Christ, and we have been made alive through Christ. Those are just a few of the things that one through three highlight for us that He has given to us. And because of all of those things, now we are to act in these ways. And the way that he says we're supposed to act, is he begins in this in verse one, It says is to live a worthy life. Because of everything that he has done for you, now live a worthy life. That's what we're called to do. The beginning of that, live a life that reflects all that has been done for you. Live worthy of what has been given to you. And the first step in living worthy is really found in this verse one. It says, therefore prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and with gentleness and with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That you would be eager to maintain the bond of unity. Worthy lives begin with pursuing harmony in the body of Christ, which is His church. First in, the first step in that, it says, is to pursue eagerly the bond of peace, unity within the body of Christ. That's one of the first hallmarks of a worthy life. That's what we don't often talk about. We talk about all the other kinds of things that might go into that and the kinds of personal conduct that might go into a worthy life. But at the top of that list, in this passage, Paul says, pursue the bond of unity. Be together, be unified, be in harmony with each other. And how do you do that? Well, there's two parts to pursuing harmony in this passage, and it really comes down to pursuing harmony requires truth and love. Love and truth. Now, didn't she a surprise? Because if you've done any line of construction or auto work or that kind of stuff, you know that when you get really strong adhesives, come in two parts, right? You have some kind of a compound, and then an activator that you put with it, it creates a chemical reaction that fuses those things together. It creates a strong and unbreakable bond That's what love and truth do for the church. We are bound together by love and by truth. We talk about a phrase in the free church a lot um, that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. I I look at that phrase and what I see is love and truth. Essentials versus non-essentials, that's truth, and charity, that's love. Those are the things that bind us together. Truth and love, love and truth, and they are both present here in these six verses that we look at. Pursuing harmony requires love and truth, and Paul begins with love. And he's gonna give a a list of four components that that exemplify that love and how we model that love. And the first one of those is simply humility. Humility is an interesting thing because it's it's something that the the Greeks uh, at the time of Christ taught that you should avoid at all costs. Whatever you do, don't be humble. Avoid humility. It was not something that was not a virtue that was to be pursued. That was something for the very lowly, maybe a slave. But for you, don't be humble. Avoid humility. But Christ taught us to embrace it. And humility really has as its essence laying aside my preference and being willing to serve someone else. I am being willing to serve another person and to look to what they need ahead of me. That's really what humility is. And Christ taught us to embrace it because that's what he did for us. He was the one, Philippians tells us, did not see being Christ, being God as something to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, laid those things aside, came into this world, and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross in our place. That's what he was willing to do. He says, you, be humble. Show humility. Be willing to serve another. Put their preferences, put their needs ahead of your own. Show humility. It's part of love. Second piece of that, patience. Be willing to wait. Allow someone to grow up and to mature. God's not finished with any of us yet, is He? Allow someone to mature. Some of you are are, are gardening and enjoy growing your own food. Something I I know a little bit about that and something I really enjoyed living in southern Minnesota for 12 years was they they grow really good sweet corn down there. That was one of the, the pluses of living, was the going to the farmer's market and getting that sweet corn. And one of the things you, you learn is that there are some really early maturing varieties. And those are okay, but they're not great. It's the ones that take a little bit longer to mature that are the sweetest and the most tender. They're just, the most, oh, it's so good. Sometimes better fruit ripens late. We need to be patient with people. Allow them to grow. Allow them to mature and be willing to to show that to them. Another part of it is gentleness. Be gentle with them. Gentleness really has to do with how we choose to use power. That's really at the core of it, how we choose to use power. Do we use it to insist on our way? Do we use it to coerce someone into getting what we want? Sometimes it's really hard for us to be gentle. Or This world would tell us that we are not called to be gentle. We're not called to be humble, we're not called to be patient, we're called to look out for number one, get what's in it for you, and get it now. That's what this world's message would be. Everywhere you look, insist on your way, insist on your rights, get what's coming to you, look out for number one. How contrary to that is this message? Be humble, be patient, be gentle. You know one of the places I have trouble being gentle? Is online with customer service people. Any of you share that affliction? I have that as an affliction. I remember, it was not long ago I was on the phone, and I don't remember even what company it was, and I wouldn't tell you if I did. Um, But I remember I was talking with this customer service, and I just could not get conveyed to her what the issue was and what needed to be done, because I understood it perfectly. And I just could not get her to do what I was asking her to do. And I began to get very animated and very short and very direct, and then she put me on hold for probably the fifth time in that call. And I don't know what it was, but somehow in that moment, God got a hold of me and said, what has she done to you? (laughs) You have no idea what her day has been like or what she's dealing with at home or what struggle she might be facing. You have no idea what's going on with her, and she is not doing this to try to make your life hard. Why are you treating her this way? Where is the gentleness? And she got back on the line, and I had to bring my voice down quite a bit and apologize to her for the tone that I had been dealing with and thanked her for the help that she had given me. We need to be gentle in all of our dealings. It's not what our world would teach us, to be gentle. The last one here is to bear with one another. This is one of my favorite one another's in all of Scripture. The literal translation of it is give slack to. How cool is it that the Bible has a command that tells tells us that we should cut each other some slack? I love it that Paul writes that, and that's actually in the Bible. Cut each other some slack. Bear with one another. Really, this is the, this is the, um, this is the, the encapsulation of, of humility and patience and gentleness all coming together in the example of God's forbearance with us, His patience with us, His being willing to bear with us. It, it is described by... Uh, Uh, One of my favorite authors is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, as he talks about uh, living together, and he says this, he says, any time that you look at another believer in the body of Christ and you shake your head at them and go, how can they not get it? How can they not understand? How many times have they heard? How can they still be doing that? Why would they have that idea? And we begin to get very impatient with them. As a pastor, as pastors, we can do this too, right? We look at our congregation and we say, how many times have we preached on that? And they're still doing that. How, how come they haven't changed it? How come they haven't figured it out? And we get very impatient. We get very short. We get very annoyed. That's really what bearing, the opposite of bearing with is getting annoyed with them. And we get very annoyed with each other over these things. Vaughn offers every time that that moment comes in, we begin to get annoyed with each other. You need to stop and ask yourself this question. How many times has God looked at you and said, How many times have I told them? How many times have I taught them? How many times have I said it in my word and they still don't get it? So before you get annoyed with someone else, you need to remember that we are all sinners at the foot of the cross. We are all reliant upon his grace and we are to bear with each other. We show love. Harmony in Christ's body is his purpose. So then we move from his purpose in, in love to his purpose in truth. And he points to these several basic foundational truths, all of these great one statements. One body, one spirit that holds to one hope. That there is one family. That's really what we are, we are one family. Everyone who is a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ is part of one family. It's one of the key concepts of the New Testament that we are brought into the household of God, that we are made one family and we are to get along in that family, have unity in that family by the love that we show within that family because we all hold to the same hope. And the only hope is that Jesus Christ came, He lived, and that He died for our sins, and that He rose again, and that by placing our faith and trust in Him, we will have forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. That's the hope that we hold to. There's one body that holds to one hope. And that body has one Lord that we call upon in Jesus Christ and we share in one faith, The only place that we can find forgiveness is by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven that is given by which we must be saved. That one faith is celebrated by one baptism. It is the the public acknowledgement of that faith before people. And as we celebrate those things, we know that we have one God who rules over all. After everything we've been through in these last two years, how wonderful it is to come together and to celebrate together and acknowledge together we have one God who rules over all and nothing that happened in these last two years surprised him at all. Do you know that? I was with a group of superintendents recently and we were praying together and one of them prayed this and it's so wonderful and it's so beautiful. He said, God, I thank you so much that we serve a God and that we follow a God who has never known what it is to be confused. How beautiful that is. It's all falling according to His plan. And He is over all. That's the truth that we acknowledge. That's the faith that we have. So we have love and we have truth and those are the things that bind us together. That's the adhesive that holds us together as we acknowledge those fundamental truths and then as we love each other in the midst of that and those are the things that ought to bring us together and focus us together and all of the rest of it we can lay aside because we love those people because they are part of our one family. We will show humility and patience and gentleness and bear with them, even when they disagree with us on other things, because they agree with us about the things that are most important. So what brings disunity? how How does that decay? Well, let me give you a couple examples here. What are the disruptors of harmony? The first disruptor of harmony is a lack of love. We lack love. And it begins by having a lack of humility, and a lack of humility is manifest in insisting on my preference. I want to have it the way that I want to have it. I don't care how you like it. I want it the way I like it. One of the places that this manifests itself a lot in churches is in conflicts over worship styles, right? That's never happened, right? We've never known a church that has had a conflict over worship styles, right? That's ridiculous. Why would they fight over those things? We all know that's not true. When I was a pastor out in Mott, we were having one of those discussions at our church with our board. And I had a couple of people on the board. And it was back and forth between, oh, we want more traditional music. We want more traditional music. No, we need to bring in some more contemporary stuff. We need to have some more contemporary stuff. And after that went on for a while, one of the ladies on our board, one of these dear, sweet, mature, godly Christian women in our church, stopped and she said this. She said, do you guys remember when I first started attending church with you? It was back when we were part of the old congregational church in town, and the old congregational church in town, we still held our services in German. Um, When I married my husband I started attending here, I didn't speak German. And you held a discussion about it, and you decided that if we continued to only speak German at church, we would probably have a very small group of people that we were reaching out to and appealing to, right? We would probably narrow our focus a lot if we continued to speak in German. So they said, you know what, we're going to start doing church in English. So that we could reach more people for Christ and start doing, it, and have people gain more out of it and benefit from being a part of that service. And she said, "To me, that's all we're talking about in this meeting. Is we're talking about adjusting our language so that we can reach more people in the name of Jesus Christ." Hallelujah for Sophia, and that view, and being willing, her willing to be humble and lay aside her preference for someone else's. Gentleness is about giving up insisting on my rights, thats a lack of gentleness. I want it, not only do I want it my way, but I insist on having it, I have a right to have it the way that I want it. I've been here longer, I write a bigger check, whatever it is, I insist on having it my way. You know, one of the great places you learn about giving up rights is on the mission field. Um, I've done a couple of mission trips with Reach Global, and they give you a form to sign before you go out on these short-term trips, and they require you to sign a form surrendering your rights before you go on the trip. I want to leave you a list of what some of those rights that they say you no longer have a right to if you agree to go on this trip because I think it's instructive for us. I give up the right to a comfortable bed. I give up the right to having three meals a day. I give up the right to having familiar food. I give up the right to dressing fashionably. I give up the right to see results. I may never see the benefit of the fruit of what I do here. I give up the right of control. To control myself, to control others, to control my circumstances. I give up the right to having pleasant circumstances. I give up my right to making decisions. I give up my right to take offense at what someone says to me. I give up my right to be successful. I give up my right to be understood. I give up my right to be heard. I give up my right to be right. And lay those things aside and look to what others need and to serve them in love. I think we should follow those as much in the church as we do on a mission field. To be patient. That's another thing that can be lack of love is lose. Patience. I remember being in a meeting where one of the ladies was making a proposal to our board and she and said, well, let us think about that. Let's figure out how to do that. And she's like, no, we gotta start that now. God can't drive a parked car. Okay, fine. No, then. We aren't going to do it. We aren't going to give us time to think about it. Do you think we've got to have it right now? We live in an age of that right now-ness, and we don't bear with one another very well. We don't. We get annoyed. All these things line up together. We don't get the right to be annoyed. We don't have the privilege to be annoyed with each other. We are called to love each other. Lack of truth is the other thing that can come in. Lack of truth is there really a confusion usually between essentials and non-essentials? There's a couple ways that that can go. One of those ways it can go is that you can get a confusion between um, you can lose an essential and classified as a non-essential. That will destroy unity in a church, too. If you say, "Well, it doesn't really matter what you believe, as long as you believe something, everybody all come." That will destroy unity in a church. That's not a church anymore. So that is one way that it is destroyed. But oftentimes in evangelical settings, it's the other way. We want to elevate some non-essential to the level of essential and say, well, this is essential. Everybody has to do this. And that's where the disruption of unity comes from. So how do we define what those essentials are? Well, if I had another hour, I would put up the ESCA statement of faith, and I would walk you through those essentials. But I don't have another hour. So I'm going to give you four statements that are often used by people who do surveys to determine whether or not the person they are talking to is rightly classified as an evangelical. You understand that when you use that term in the world today, it has been hijacked by culture and by media, and it now means things that it was never intended to mean. Uh, there's a, surveys will say there's a huge increase in the number of evangelicals in America, and it's not because people are getting saved because they're identifying with a media-driven, culture-driven definition rather than by a true biblical definition. So what they do is they ask four questions, and you have to affirm all four of these things to really be classified evangelical. So these are the four things that they say. Number one, that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of sin. That's number one. That's essential number one, that the only penalty, the only penalty that could be paid to remove The only sacrifice that could remove that penalty for us is Christ's death on the cross. That's number one. Number two, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. The only way to remove sin is through Christ's death on the cross, and the only way for it to be removed for you is you have to make a personal decision to trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that that happens. That's two. The third one is the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. That is that I will submit everything that I believe to what Scripture teaches. It's not about that I am going to follow what some author says or some commentator says or some media personality says and that that's what I'm going to believe. No, I'm going to follow what Scripture says. And by the way, that does not mean that I'm going to take and go and see if I can find one verse of Scripture somewhere that supports what I think. It means that I'm going to submit everything that I think to what the total counsel of Scripture teaches. And that includes holding whatever position I believe and holding it with humility and patience and gentleness and bearing with others who might disagree with me on that point because that's also what Scripture teaches. And the last one is this. It is very important for me to personally encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. The one thing that has always united us together is the passion, is the need to, teach, to share the good news with those who don't know it yet. And that's the saddest thing, I think, that has been lost in the midst of this. Let me close with one short story here. Kevin Complin, who's the president of the Free Church, was sharing this with a group of district superintendents, and he was talking about how he, had a, he got home from a trip, and he had a message at, when he got home from the trip from his neighbor uh, who was not a believer, somebody who he had witnessed to, somebody he had shared with on a regular basis. And uh, he got home, and there was a message from his neighbor, and he said the neighbor had said that he had been diagnosed with COVID and was having to go into the hospital. And so he real quickly, when he got that message, called the hospital, was able to get him on the phone and speak to him. They said, oh, I'm so glad you called. He said, it's getting worse. They're going to have to put me on a ventilator. They don't know how long. It might be a month. Would you be willing to look after my house and and, and my property? Would you keep an eye on the place for me while I'm going through this until I get out? And Kevin said, sure, absolutely. I will do that for you. I'm happy to do that for you. I said, and then Kevin went on to share about the good news and share Christ with him one last time before he got off the phone with him. And Kevin said, when I got off the phone with him, I said, I'm pretty sure I'm the last person other than medical personnel that he spoke to before he went on to that ventilator. He never came off. It was about a month later that uh, that, uh, Kevin was at his house with his granddaughter. And his granddaughter had known this, this neighbor friend of theirs. And she was asking, where is he? Where is he? And he said, well, sweetheart, he got sick and, and he died. And that granddaughter asked the most important question. Did he know Jesus? And Kevin had to answer, I don't know. I hope that maybe somewhere in those last days that he had, he thought about what was shared with him and maybe in that moment he gave his life to Christ. He said, but I don't know. I don't know. It's one of the things that breaks my heart, actually, as a pastor, to see churches fractured and fighting about things of no eternal consequence when there are people dying without Christ. We say we're committed to these things. If we want to be unified together, then let's be unified together. Let's say we are going to love each other with humility and patience and gentleness and bear with each other. And we're going to love each other, and we're going to stand for these core truths, and we're going to share them in love that we have with those who need to hear, and let's stop the other stuff. Let's be united in Christ as one body, with one faith and one Lord, with one message, the only message that matters. Let us be held together by the fact that we love each other, we serve a risen Lord, and there are people who need to hear that good news. Let that be what unites us together. Harmony in the body is His purpose. What holds us together? Love and truth. Will we live that love and share that truth? Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time we've had together. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the work that they do in this community and across our district. I thank you for each one here. I pray for them that they would know your peace in their midst, that they would demonstrate love to one another, that they would stand faithfully upon Your truth. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.